0: <laughs> so one day they called me in the office and they was like, can we talk to you for a minute? And I was like, sure, no problem. I had a feeling in my stomach like, right, I know where this is kind of
1: going. This is D Bills from Baltimore, who while clocked in at his job at the Social Security Administration, spent his days engaged in debates in the comment section of notright.com.
0: So they took me to the back and the supervisor, she was just like, yeah, we seen your productions down. And mind you, I come from the kind of place where people worship government jobs and they say, you can't get fired from a government job. I'm like, shit, watch this. They take me back there and they're just like, so what's going on? I'm just like, well, what do you mean? It seems like your production is down and you've been on the internet all day. And I'm like, oh yeah? So they slipped me this little book, and in the book they had a log. And in the log, all you saw was all hip hop, all hip hop, nowright.com, 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 nowright.com. So they was like, what's nowright.com? I was like, right, this is a little site I go to. And, um, you know, they gave me my walking papers and I went back to college.
1: Today, Drake is celebrated worldwide. He's broken chart records held by the Beatles. He was always gifted, always talented, and always driven. But growing up as a Jewish, biracial child actor from Toronto, Canada he had three strikes against him before anyone even heard his music as he started his journey to become who he always felt he could be drake's mission was to gain the acceptance of a quiet it specialist by day who also happened to helm the most powerful website in hip-hop where it's the real and this is episode three ten dollars and a dream Osmi Rollins was raised at the intersection of making art and taking art.
2: I grew up in the graffiti world. You know, I come from the era of the 90s, running around in the city, writing graffiti, boosting, rocket polo.
1: Back then, hip-hop wasn't dominant in pop culture. Rappers weren't hosting SNL or performing at the Super Bowl halftime show, and their music definitely wasn't in every movie trailer. But if you were a middle schooler in or around New York City— hip-hop, boundary-pushing and defiant, was everything. The beats made you scrunch your face. The rhymes were thrilling puzzles. The fashion gave you reason to get out of bed, and the graffiti? I mean, beyond just looking dope, it was a powerful form of artistic expression that allowed young people who were normally overlooked and so often unheard to leave their mark.
2: I went through beef because of the graffiti writing that I did, you know, like that's just the life of a graffiti writer. You cross people out or somebody goes over you and then it turns into like a real life physical altercation because, you know, that's one of the cardinal sins is you don't go over somebody, you don't cross them out, you know, disrespect their crew. So, you know, I'm a young writer, you know, the term is toy. I didn't really understand the world and I was writing graffiti in the local neighborhood and I went and got myself into all sorts of beef by going over people's names.
1: Just like how kids who couldn't afford Ralph Lauren's preppy clothing line polo would make do by sneaking pieces out of stores, Ozmi did what had to be done to get up as a young graph writer. When he first saw the work of legendary artist Scheme featured on the cover of the seminal graffiti book Subway Art, he stole Scheme's name, a serious no-no. Realizing his mistake... He shortened his tag name to the first two letters of Scheme, SK. A decade and a half later, Ozmi found himself driving his Honda Accord into the city each weekday morning to his job, providing technical assistance to executives at a medical journal publishing house. Forget looking fly in Ralph, he wore business casual. Instead of writing his name on rooftops, he sat in a cubicle. he traded his nights tagging around Washington Heights, for a 9-to-5 as a department supervisor in a Manhattan skyscraper. Yes, the job paid his bills. It put food in his child's stomach. And it promised his small family a chance for better tomorrows. But that job didn't provide him a stake in the company's fortunes. It didn't bring him joy. It never defined Ozmi Rollins. So every free chance he had, any moment to himself, any couple of seconds that a co-worker would walk away... Ozmi clicked over to a website where he could be his pure self, a place that he had created in his own image, now right. And just like Clark Kent in a phone booth, Ozmi Rollins put on his superhero cape and became SK. A
2: lot of people really didn't know. You know, my parents didn't really know. You know, they didn't, even if, I'm sure I explained it to them, but they wouldn't have understood what it was I was trying to do, you know.
1: Now right was his escape. It transported him from that chair at his dry day job into the front seat of his accord, aimlessly riding around with his buddies, bumping the newest music, and arguing for hours on which rapper got the best lines off in a ritual they called Hip Hop Mondays.
0: A shame he rhyme, nigga love crime. Every late night he outside with the nine. You ain't got chips, fuck
3: the world. You got chips,
1: One of SK's best friends growing up, Sal Cucullo.
3: We would drive around
4: in my car or his car every Monday. It was him and I and maybe two others. We sincerely literally just drove around for three, four hours listening to the hottest mixtape that week. And one day he's like, Sal, I'm going to I'm
1: going to do a block. And it was those same guys, Sal, Vess, Rep and a couple others who would visit and comment on the site in the beginning. These were good friends, the type who would have shown up at an open mic had SK been trying to become a stand-up comic, except they didn't do it out of obligation. They really enjoyed what not right was, Hip Hop Mondays every day.
2: I would really start the day at work doing the site, so like in between my, you know, during my downtime at work, I would post to the site, and then I would go home. At the time, I still lived with my parents and Yonkers. In a two-bedroom apartment, I would go home with my laptop and pretty much stay on the internet looking for music and perusing news and stuff like that for the rest of the night until I fell asleep, and then just repeat it the next day. Uh, to this day, we have the saying in Yonkers, like, uh, and you'll see it uh, on a lot of posts if people go out of
4: town, it's like, get off your block. I know tons of people that have all the, the tools in the world and all the outlets and the money, And they're just content with staying in Yonkers, get off your block. That's the thing that a lot of people, it's very difficult. You really don't know how far you can go if you
1: you don't leave the little circle that you're in. Though at the beginning of Not Right, the audience may have only been that little circle.
5: The owners of SOHH had once said that they didn't know they'd be able to find enough of a churn in the hip-hop world to fill an entire website. But from Jump, SK, the hip-hop obsessive, sought that out. He came across scans of a European magazine article where Prodigy dissed Nas. He would go on eBay, looking for Big Pun's chains. Not to buy them, but just to point out that they were there for sale. He sifted through the muck, took everything he thought was dope from around the internet, and brought it back to one place. At its core though, it was just a WordPress site with no readers, no history, no bio, no nothing. There's a joke from The Office where Ryan the Temp says he could clean his desk in five seconds and no one would ever know he worked there. That was not right. It used a basic blog template appropriately called Contempt. An empty background, a half dozen bare bones posts stacked vertically if you scroll down the page.
2: I tried to keep it simple. It was just really a lot of white space, not a lot of distraction. It, you know, it really just made every post the most prominent thing on the site at the time. Easy to navigate, easy to comment and, and interact with.
5: Finding anything out about the guy who ran now nah right depended on context clues. If you spent enough time on there, one could figure out that he had a job and could not wait for the weekend. He loved Jay-Z, hated Nas, and really hated 50 Cent. He had a working knowledge of hood politics, referencing Supreme and Fat Cat street legends from Queens. And when it looked like the game didn't know how to hold a gun, it made for an easy punching bag. So, the guy was probably of a certain age, probably of a certain class, or maybe he was the Wizard of Oz.
2: (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, like, some people thought I was white at first, because at the time, you know, there were rap bloggers, but... A few of the more prominent ones, I think, were white or known to be white. There weren't—I think, really, there weren't any rap bloggers that were prominently black. I saw that rumor, and I I would correct people whenever I came across anybody suggesting such.
5: The only concrete information you got was found in the picture at the top of the page. An ugly, barely legible night shot of a light pole that held two signs— a one way and another that read St. Andrew's Place. It was that hidden corner of Yonkers that would inform SK's views, his taste, and his voice. But since no one who mattered was taking a 30-minute train ride to Yonkers to ask a computer services guy his thoughts on the latest jay Zever's, SK had to bring St. Andrews to the world.
2: I've made it a point to post every day, multiple times a day, and not disappear for days or weeks at a time and leave people hanging. Whenever, like, a blogger would ever ask me advice, I would always say, just be consistent. Like, don't half-ass it. If you're going to do it, do it. Be there for your audience.
1: The cover of the August 2005 issue of XXL magazine featured Jay-Z, Kanye West, Foxy Brown, and LeBron James, all of them dressed like they were pulling up to a presidential gala and photographed in a life-size replica of the Oval Office. If you wanted an idea of how well business was going for XXL, you'd flip through 30 pages of ads before finally getting to the letter from the editor, Elliot Wilson. It was in that monthly missive where Elliot would crow about his accomplishments, brag about how he'd crushed his competition, and in this issue, even call out the eight artists he blamed for his worst-selling covers, including Nas, OutKast, and the aforementioned Foxy. XXL had the juice... And Elliot could throw shots at whoever he wanted. Elliot had created this persona, YN, as a way to talk his shit on the page. When in real life, he could be shy, removed, a loner. After leaving his dream job as music editor at The Source on Bad Terms in 1998, YN stepped into the spotlight with a mission to belittle enemies real and perceived. The same guy who would buy an ad in Billboard magazine encouraging advertisers to leave the source and join him at XL, would use ink in his editor's letter to step on the internet. This one's dedicated to you inferior fucks and jealous bitches who envy me, Elliot wrote. To the anonymous assholes hunched over your keyboards writing erroneous shit to get a rise out of YN, you're beneath me. I'm ready for a blogger geek barrier. Bloggers some of whom modeled their writing voice after Elliot, loved the acknowledgement, even if it came with a middle finger. And why not? Elliot, whose cosigns of artists, photographers, and writers held great sway, was the one to decide if you were hot or if you were nothing. And he let you know about it every single month on newsstands everywhere for four bucks an issue. Stephen Othello.
3: I used to read Elliot's letter and be like, I felt like I knew him, like, Yo, Elliot, fuck with it. Like, I felt like that in real life. When they said, like, uh, this post was created by SK, it's like you really in your heart knew that he fucked with it. Because he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't post it for any other reason. So it was so important during that time. And I appreciate him to this time, because I don't think we would be where we went without uh, a a not right.
5: Elliot's calling card was his volume. SK's would be his taste.
0: Yo, take a good look at a madman. I got mad plans. I got mad scams. I used to rap but I did to plan with uptown cop hard, 27 the gram. Yo.
5: Texas legend Bun B became a regular visitor to nah Wright, Checking for what spitters were getting respect, whether it be himself or someone like Brooklyn's Sean Price.
2: SK was into a lot more of uh, underground hip hop kind of stuff. He wasn't really a big fan of commercial stuff, but there were some things that he would have to be like, you know what? I came in front This shit is banging. I'm fucking with this. And there would be some shit to be like, see, this is why I fuck with Sean P. Because Sean P is anti every fucking thing else that they're trying to shove down your throat.
5: All hip-hop and S.O.H.H., already the OGs of the game, were expansive, trying to please all comers and covering as much of the universe as possible. Magazines had page limits. Radio and TV had time constraints. And Now Right? Now Right was pure and focused. One guy's perspective on the newest songs Immediately and always, and you didn't have to scroll far to find something you liked. And one year in, that one guy was gaining a following.
2: Bloggers back then would exchange links, you know, so if I like Jay Smooth's site and I throw a link to his site in my blog role, he may turn around and do the same. And that would drive the traffic between sites. And I think that's how a lot of people discovered my site. And I know that's how I discovered a lot of other people's sites. So I think back then, you know, it would really be, I would see, oh, okay, I got 300 views this week, you know, and then you would kind of steadily see it inch up to like, oh, now there's 500 views this week and then 600 and pretty soon you're over a thousand. Within a year, I probably was doing thousands of hits you know a day at that point I really couldn't tell you how many but it was probably up there it was enough that I felt like I had a responsibility to maintain the site you know once the site started to get attention and I kind of knew I had an audience that I was posting for like that's kind of an exciting thing people were starting to engage with the site and it's almost like a And you're looking for that next fix you want to give the people who are reading their fix and you want your fix, the satisfaction of giving people something interesting to talk about or listen to or whatever."
5: Nom purposeful curation had a powerful effect beyond the number of visitors. The exclusivity and authenticity were now attracting people who wanted their art to exist in this world SK had created. The site was evolving from a hip-hop nerd's first stop to the holy grail for up-and-coming rappers. Plain Pat was watching from his Def Jam office.
3: There almost is no hip-hop internet to me before Not Right. It was just like a guy that had dope taste, that obviously loved hip-hop, and just wanted to keep good shit going. So it was like, you know, I used to look at it like, like how can we get on there? I can't, I can't wait, I can't wait. You <laughs> know, like early on. So Not Right changed everything, man, for sure. Rappers at
5: every level, underground, street, veteran, as well as a zillion never-will-be's, would all send unsolicited emails to SK. It used to be the Def Jam A&R department who'd get pummeled with this stuff. Now, it was just some guy with a day job and a website.
2: I think from the beginning, my philosophy was like, you know, this is a way to give a voice to people who may follow music really closely, but don't have a way to share that with the outside world. I may not have started out seeing relative unknowns, but I think in the back of my head, I always felt like I've heard of such and such rapper, but I don't see them being covered in like The Source or XXL.
5: Pittsburgh rapper Wiz Khalifa had, like Joe Budden, been a highly touted young major label artist. His contract was with Warner Brothers, And also like Joe Budden, Wiz felt the suits didn't see what he was seeing. In a search for answers, Wiz's independent publicist, Artie Pitt, sat down with Brendan Frederick, aka B-Fred, from XXL Magazine.
6: By 2008, I started feeling a little bit desperate because we were just kind of floating around on Warner. So I remember I was having lunch with B-Fred. And I said, how the fuck do I get Wiz publicity? How do I keep building the brand? How do I keep his name going? And he told me that, you know, SK had this music blog and that, you know, everybody wanted to be on it and I should check it out, that it's getting a ton of traction. So I put like all my focus in on that. Like, I felt like SK was our distribution for a while.
2: Here's Wiz. Yo, like, for real, for real, that was like the thing for us was we would just sit at
3: home and wish that our shit would get on certain particular blogs or get on spots. We would see other people's shit show up there. And it was like, yo, how do I get
2: on? You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, like, how do I get mentioned? And then when somebody, like, not right, throws shit up there and be like, yo, these dudes are hot, they're coming up next. So check this song out, check this video out. It was official,
3: bro. The
2: Wiz Khalifa of that era sounds almost nothing like the Wiz Khalifa that we know today. But, you know, I saw something in this kid, like, Man, he's talented. He's on a different level. I never imagined he'd go to the place he went. Wiz Khalifa was kind of parallel in coming up with Currency. And Currency, he wasn't necessarily new. You know, he had had a career before that, but wasn't really known. He was somebody who I just really felt like, why doesn't this guy have like a a mainstream career? Why isn't he on the radio? There are artists that I've seen things in that ended up not really going anywhere, but I'm really proud of what those guys have done. With the
1: mixtape world moving online, people looked for someone to make sense of this free-for-all. Someone who said what mattered and what didn't. Now Wright filled that role, and more. It became the best and most popular free platform for an artist to debut new songs, new music videos, new albums. SK had gone from an airline passenger to sitting in the traffic control tower. His readers started following his direction, taking their chances on someone with a new name like Nipsey Hussle or someone whose moniker was a copy editor's worst nightmare like Curtains who spelled his name with two symbols and a punctuation mark.
2: Honestly, like, it was subject line, you know, like if you call me with your subject line or like that was the days of MP three attachments, you know, like you wouldn't necessarily send like a SoundCloud or a Z share link. You'd just attach the MP three. So, you know, I'd kinda of look at the name of the MP three and oh that jumps out at me. What is your song title? What is your subject line? Does your name jump out at me? You know? Um but back then, like before the floodgates really opened, I would really look at everything, you know. Were you listening to everything? I was listening to most of it. You know, there were some things that I was just like, I don't even need to click on this MP3 to know this is not for me, you know. But I was listening to a lot of it for sure.
1: Way back when Mickey Fax was struggling to get steady coverage on Nah Right, he nearly resorted to begging on a collab he did with the regular on the site, knowledge from the group Kids in the Hall.
0: only states cause she
3: cried and i Should I be classified as right? I was playing chess when I did that knowledge record. And I said nah right on the song in like a bar. And when he heard that, he made it his business to address the posts. And then I did it again the following week, and he was like, okay, I'm going to start posting you, stop saying my name. After that, it was smooth sailing, brother. It was smooth sailing after that.
2: <laughs> I kind of vaguely remember that, but yeah, that sounds about right.
1: And that became the norm. Now, Right had become such a reliable showcase for new talent, with such a tough doorman, that some artists would plot on the best ways to get in. For Smoke Dizza, that meant recording a remix to his song Marley and Me, featuring not-right staples like Currency, Devin the Dude, and Asher Roth.
3: I shot the video and all of them was in it. I knew they had to fuck with me. Because if all these people that they post fuck with me, then they're going to be left out if they don't fuck with me. I actually started to get other artists played. They knew if they worked with me, they would be on not-right. And for anyone
1: who wasn't blessed with a post on not-right...
2: I mean, hey, man, I was one person trying to (laughs) stay on top of a million emails. Something slipped through the cracks, you know?
1: SK's name started to ring bells amongst his peers, too. By this point, he was familiar on Hip Hop site, SOHH, and in the comment sections of Byron Crawford and Dallas Penn. Where months earlier SK had been surprised by Jay Smooth sending readers his way, upcoming bloggers were now looking for SK's cosign. Andrew Barber of the Midwest-focused site, Fake Shore Drive.
6: You would get a link back from S.K. on Not Right, your traffic would go crazy. S.K. had so much power. If he was like, you know, know, shouts to Fake Shore Drive, that was the thing, was like trying to get exclusives that S.K. might post on his site and link back, because then people will find out about it that way.
1: Not Right had three legs on the table. S.K., the artist who made the songs, and maybe most importantly, its readership. But even there, there were layers.
5: Of all the visitors to now Write, commenters were the top tier. These were the most committed, hitting refresh over and over and over again, back when web speeds were slow and notifications did not exist. They spent every waking moment on the site, engaging with complete strangers based first and foremost on a love of hip-hop. Jumping in there could be like the TV show Cheers or the movie Gladiator a group of regulars who gathered like friends or battled for an hour too long. There was Nunya Business, Landlord, Green Eyes, Joe 88, Tyrone Biggums, El Loco, Plug Industries, Combat Jack, Dallas Penn, among many others. Here's D. Bills, who was more devoted to not right than to his job
0: somehow i just stumbled up on now right after going to all hip-hop all the the time and i was like oh okay this is different because you know before that they had you know hip-hop chat rooms and things like that but i kind of stayed away from them because you know there's a lot
6: of weird people in there
5: another regular was ray rodriguez from long island
6: that became about 15 or 20 people just regularly commenting day in and day out that's how i spent my nine to five like that's what i did for a few years there just sort of like catching up with people and just talking about music or sports or movies or whatever. But it was primarily about hip-hop because it would be on a new post. So whenever rapper XYZ came out with a new song, people would listen to it, comment on it. And then, you know, however the conversation would proceed and it oftentimes devolve uh, from there.
5: The first time that someone commented off topic, SK stepped in with the warning, wrong thread guy. It didn't matter that that guy was Vess his loyal friend from back home. There were rules, or that was the plan at least. That may have been the only time he tried to draw that line. Within a month of SK coming down on Vess, it was impossible to enforce. SK had upped his posting, more news, more music, more links. And the conversation had splintered in all sorts of directions. A new song could go up, and within minutes, people were arguing over whether a hot dog was a sandwich.
2: At the beginning, most of the comments were about whatever the subject of the post was. And at some point it just went off the rails and it just became a running message board across every single post you know where conversations would start in one post continue in another post and a more uptight moderator might have tried to rein that in and say hey guys like stay on topic or whatever but i loved it because it was the community you know and it, it was really a unique platform different than anything else on the internet at the time and really since.
0: So we got everything going in there from conspiracy theories to conversations about race, conversations about dating, conversations about where each person is from, conversations about cars, or we could just be clowning escape you know, for like a whole post, like, yo, we just going in on escape for the rest of the day. So that's how it started. And then once one person comment and they say something and, and it piques your interest or, you know, it triggers something, then just like, oh, well, let me respond to that.
5: Commons are Tank Thompson from Missouri.
7: Everybody's going straight to it. Someone says, you know, Cameron can't rap. He ain't that good. You expect crazy conversation and arguments and just chaos from the comments section. And it's entertaining as hell. <laughs> so.
4: Dallas Penn. The beauty of the not right comment section is that if it was a hundred comments on a post, five of them referred to the content of the post, and the 95% was some other outer space crazy shit. You went to the not right comment section
8: to just, to
6: be free. Conversations often turn to weed, marijuana came up a lot, and so did, believe it or not, how much genetically similar the human is to swine, you know pegs it was like they've got a filter that goes out through their foot and they eat waste through that and then just like this tinfoil stuff now you got a whole conversation going that's
0: threaded from post to post and here's the thing this is how you knew your music was whack if the conversation went from one post to the other and nobody clicked on it it it's like yo your music is kind of garbage and a lot of people didn't get their career started because the comments was like now we really not clicking on that
5: in its best version, the not-right comment section was a clubhouse, but the reality could be darker for others. Those who'd return each day tended to be territorial, making new visitors feel unwelcome. Being that there were mostly guys in the chat, it was particularly hard for a woman's thoughts to be respected. The commenter Green Eyes was an exception. She put in her time and threw volleys as she saw fit. But others, such as the artist Nitty Scott MC, who had left Orlando for the possibilities of New York, did not feel warmth at all.
3: This was not just exclusive to Not Right. I remember a lot of the pure rap heads you can think of being on these sites because that's their world. And I do remember some sexism, just a lot of being... So inherently upset sometimes that like a girl was rapping and possibly out rapping the dude next to her, you know, depending on on your opinion. Some of it was so archaic that you wouldn't believe that this was 2010. And these were the things that like a group of men were telling a woman in a room. You would not think that we were in this century and there would be things that if you publicly shared them now, there would probably be more consequences and more outrage. There were a lot of doors that I had to bust down because people just didn't want me or us there at all.
5: Chuck English wouldn't look for the validation of strangers.
3: I ain't gonna lie to you, bro. I stayed the fuck out the comment section. That's how you
4: become one of those artists that over-implode um, from the opinions of others and stuff. I stayed the fuck away from that shit. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I don't think I've ever been in a comment section you. It's not good for your
5: health. For the regulars, though, outsiders just wouldn't understand. The not-right-comment section existed as a beautiful mess, freewheeling and dysfunctional, like any family.
7: Dudes come in and they want to come in hot. Oh, this song sucks. blah oh, blah. Wow, you know, let's make fun of Mickey Facts, He sucks, you know, whatever it is.
0: You come on there, first of all, your comment better be very, you know, nice. Because if you say something out of pocket, it's going to be like, yo, who is this person with their opinion
7: that nobody asks for? It became like a college frat, where you almost had to prove yourself in a sense, but also like, once you got associated enough with them, you're cool with everybody. You've got to mind your P's and Q's and just have a little respect for everybody, and you'll eventually kind of get there.
5: As the site grew, so did a sense of ownership in its success, both by the commenters and SK. Who deserved more credit as NARRIGHT gained more traffic? Was it the engine or the wheels? It was a real chicken and egg situation, or swine and foot filter, if you will.
7: At a certain point, you start to turn on the creator, You turn on the person that's giving you the content that you're, you're craving, you know? It was weird. You would start to see promotions on the website itself for new artists, and maybe some of us we never heard of, or maybe for some people they didn't like It kind of became this thing like, oh, look at SK, He's just trying to sell some ads and stuff. He's selling out. And some people were like, no, it's it's supposed to be this special thing that we only know about.
5: A half dozen of the most steady commenters broke off to start their own site, cheekily called The Alumna. It was a spot where they'd be able to write long form and show more of their own personalities. That's cool. That's cute. But it made SK feel away.
6: It was kind of like you guys should have given me some kind of credit for it. And after that, he got a little bit funny, which
2: I don't necessarily blame him, because we essentially decided to make the entire plane out of the black box. I get in an argument with somebody, and they'll be like, Well, I'll just stop commenting here, and your traffic will go down. And I'll be like, Yo, but I built the platform. Like, first of all, I don't care about your little hundred hits I get from you commenting all day. You know, you're one person. I built this platform. Where's my credit? You you know, there's the door. At the end of the day, arguing on the internet is for idiots, right? So (laughs) we were all idiots. We all wasted a lot of time. I made a little bit of money off of it. So it's cool. You, You know, you could talk shit about me in the comments. That's fine.
1: SK's rise continued uninterrupted. And that's mostly because of SK and the moves he was making, but also because of one commenter who would later prove to be indispensable to the site, a high schooler from Montreal, Canada. This kid, who had just turned 17, was living a crazy life, getting in trouble, doing dumb shit 17-year-olds do. And maybe his path would have turned out very different had a friend not told him in early 2006 that Jim Jones had just gotten arrested.
8: So I go to Google it, and I guess I come up on All Right. And I loved it. Like, I read all the archives that night, or like for the next couple of nights, and I I looked at every blog he linked to, and it was like stumbling upon gold.
1: After pouring through hundreds of posts, the kid commented, I'm jumping on the bandwagon a bit too late, but trust. I'm reading page by page. I really need to get my fix. He wrote under the name Nation. It was short for Nation of Thugacation, a reference to Papoose, the hugely hyped Brooklyn rapper who had just scored a $1.5 million deal with Jive Records. For Nation, reading not right felt like a get-out-of-jail-free card. He had been trying to calm his days down and sitting at a computer for hours and talking to adults— bullshitting about hip-hop and how much they hated their jobs, well, that would be a much healthier scene for him.
2: At first, it was kind of like we were little bro in him. Like, you know, let us teach you about this, or like, you know, let us put you on to this, or this is the opinion you're supposed to have when it comes to this. He hung in there and stayed in the comments and took whatever was thrown at him and threw it right back and really made a voice for himself within that community. I was
8: really there to learn, and I would just ask him a ton of questions. I would ask him, like, yo, when I come to New York, where should I go? You know, like, dumb shit. Like, really, like, kid in a, in a candy store. I think a lot of people were also thirsty for attention and fame. Like, a lot. And uh, I didn't care. At all.
1: While Nation could jump into the comments and scrap with the best of them, he also didn't spend his hours aimlessly throwing mud and recycling insults. He was there to contribute, something SK noticed early. And
2: with a deepening
1: workload, SK hit Nation on the side, asking if he'd be down to take on some of the
2: duties for the site. I recognized early that he was incredibly intelligent and a good writer, and at some point I was just like, "Bro, you should you should write for me on the site. You should fill in when I need help." And, you know, I can't speak to, like, why I had that level of trust in this young kid when, at the time, I rarely let anybody post on the site other than myself. For someone as
1: invested in Na Wright as Nation was, it was a complete surprise when he turned SK down. Nation felt it was too large a platform and he simply wasn't a capable steward. So he quietly set about training himself, like Batman going into the mountains of Nepal. He'd start his own blog so he could hone his skills, his voice, and his relationships, and hope that by the time he re-emerged, he'd be worthy of the position. He called it WMDs, half a joke on George Bush and half on D's Nuts. And it was never meant to be anything more than a practice ground for using blogging tools and posting early demos of Kanye West's upcoming album, Graduation. At the same time, Kanye started his own blog, called Kanye University. This is Plain Pat. Kanye
3: University, that was like another game changer right there. He saw what the internet was and was like, I need to get in on this. And was like He probably saw the not rights and all the people that were doing this, like using this platform, and he said, I want to get in on it. I want to show, show
1: some dope shit too. Incredibly, some of the dope shit Kanye recognized was through Nation's work and his writing. And in the truly all-important public cosign, he added WMDs to the small number of names on the Kanye University blog roll. If anything showed Nation's growth or the appearance of being good enough, it was that.
8: I guess Kanye saw it and he liked it because it was just more context for everything that he's doing, whatever samples I was finding, early streaming on YouTube, and then... Building context around what was coming out real time on our right. It was a mental exercise for me, but I guess he saw the vision, realistically. I just got so happy. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take it seriously and start working with SK.
1: It had taken a few months, but Nation returned to SK's door. He was ready, and SK threw him a set of keys.
2: I just had this bond with Nation where I trusted him and I trusted that he understood the voice of the site and what I wanted to be covered and how I wanted to be covered. And, you know, and he never let me
1: down. Nation, barely old enough to enter adult websites, understood completely what Na Right Standing meant, not only to the internet, but to hip hop. And he made it his purpose to help elevate this cultural centerpiece. I was discovering early 90s stuff for the first time. And at
8: the same time, Sean P would be emailing me, like, yo, you fucked up a lyric, just email me next time, I'll do it for you. Just amazing shit. I wasn't, like, an underground geek at that point, but I was a different type of geek. Like, I was more of a Rockefeller diplomat, historian, and it sharpened my sword for the backpack type of shit.
5: As close as Nation was paying attention to new releases and which way the trends were moving, a fellow Canadian almost snuck under his radar. When S.K. posted Mickey Fax's song Overdose on Life in late April 2008, Nation was the first to comment, saying Canada, followed by a half dozen greater than signs. Here's Mickey.
3: I remember Drake texting me. When we did Overdose on Life, and then, you know, we had that record, he was like, oh, man, Mickey, I just want to be on our right? That's all I care about. And this is Drake. You know, we see who Drake is. He was like, I just want to be on our right? Crazy. I was like, look. We're going to make that happen. I'm going to get you on our right. And, and sure enough, if you guys search my Right and look for the Overdose on Life post, Mickey Fox featuring Travis McCord and Drake. SK Wright, Mickey Fox is back with another song. Uh, Travis McCord from the Gym Class Heroes, the 10th Canadian Rapper. I'm living good, gripping wood with all the beaches.
7: Jesus, my money's straight, no creases. for this, we got bottles over here.
0: Pass the if
5: in September of the same feel feel year, the Drake and Lil Wayne teamed up for a song called Ransom, which, yes, caught Nation's attention. But truthfully, he didn't connect the dots until a few days later, when British radio personality DJ Semtex posted an interview with Wayne, that guy who was dropping lines about DeGrassi was the same actor from that very show, and now he's getting shouted out by the hottest, most prolific artists in the world.
0: Like I got this rapper from Canada.
2: His name is Drake. He, he's real big. He's in the he's actor and all that. He's in DeGrassi High. All that type of stuff. He has his own TV or whatever radio show. There, I just don't know of it. His name Drake though. But he'll be shout out Drake Trizzy. Then I went back and I did I, I did my Googles.
5: Nation started digging and landed on Drake's MySpace, where he found a fluid mix of rap and R&B, the melding of Kanye West and Lil' Brother. He liked what he heard.
8: I figured that if Kanye is doing 808s and the Dream is producing all these records and doing like that type of emo rap, that this was going to be next. It was just like a calculated hunch or whatever you want to call it. I just guessed that this is the next wave because nothing else was sticking at that point. As you know, Tapu's had his deal for like 1.6 million, nothing came. Saigon, all these guys came and went. So this guy's on tour with Wayne. He's recording with Wayne. He's putting out songs with Wayne. And it's a mystery at that point. But he's lyrical at the
5: same time. But that didn't mean S.K. was about it.
2: I was skeptical at first. I was like, yo, I'm not into singing-ass rappers, nation. You know that. like.
5: <laughs> Drake would take time out of interviews or YouTube video appearances to shout out Na Right, signaling to S.K. that he was a fan, that he deserved more love than just a backhanded description. This is Drake from a video he did with Karen Civil.
0: What's going on? It's your man Drake. And uh, I just want to, I want to give a shout out, I want to extend my respect to the whole Not Right family, SK. Uh, I'm a big supporter, man. I go on every day and check it out. And I'm always, you know, flattered when I'm on there. So from us here, October Zone, man, we appreciate you. We're looking forward to doing a lot in the future, man. Shout out Not Right.
5: Not Right wasn't intended for dudes like Drake. It was underground, mean, and dirty. SK treated Drake like a fan on some go-that-way shit. But in Nation, he found someone who got him.
8: So everybody's too cool for school, but I just called it as I saw it. I'm like, yo, this is good. To me, like, the music is good. And I grew up, yes, I have brothers, but I also have a sister. So I, I, get, I understand R&B. We have a history in Canada for, like, great artists, too. So I definitely knew there was potential here. And it checked
4: off all the boxes from my point of view.
5: Nation was steadfast, a true believer with a platform like none other, he wouldn't preach, he'd deliver. The not-right commenters, though, were unmoved.
0: I was definitely not on board. We used to make jokes about Grassy because I didn't know what Degrassi was. I'm just like, why is this being posted on not-right? And I'm just like, oh, this is Nation. So I respect Nation really standing in front of the firing squad and taking all the hell for posting Drake because he was not the most liked when, when Nation was posting. It was just like, yo, who is this and... Why the music is mad soft? Like, what is he talking about? But, (laughs) like, that was kind of the general, I guess, perspective of of Drake. But, you know what I mean? I shout out the Nation for that, because he really put on for the six. He he went out there and took all, all the fire, all the smoke.
5: The day before Valentine's 2009, Drake dropped So Far Gone, an ambitious project that showcased him at his most fully formed. The hype was so big that it crashed the servers of two Dope Boys, whose audience was nearly as big as Na writes. Drake's profile rose. His songs found mainstream love on the radio. He sold out SOBs in New York City and sparked a bidding war between the major labels. Drake put in countless hours with his creative partners, refining a specific sound that would alter the way a generation expressed themselves in song and Instagram caption. In getting there, he jumped through a million hoops to be sure. But without the constant support inside the not-right organization from a guy like Nation, it's hard to imagine what the early journey would have looked like. And it's no surprise that eventually the not-right commenters would come to soften their stance.
6: The same people that were championing Only Built for Cuban Links was like, no, you got to check out So Far Gone. you got to listen to uh, his songs. And he was just so prevalent at a time where Young Money Cash Money needed him while Wayne was dealing with his legal situations. That he was everywhere. Every single feature that Wayne should have been on, you could probably find that Drake was on. And it, it was just inescapable. And he racked up so many hits that he ultimately became undeniable. But Nah right took him very seriously as far as being a major player. And history has proved that to be an accurate take. Every time he dropped a new project, uh, every time he had a new feature, uh, it was just the biggest thing in the world to just a, a huge crossover Audience,
5: even SK could no longer front on a singing ass rapper. He opened his ears to a Drake freestyle called November 18th, both a tribute to the late DJ Screw and a clear message to real rap heads like SK that his references and influences were deep.
2: Okay, you know what? This kid has a little something, and you know, he quickly won me over. And Now, were we 10 years later, 11 years later? and I have a bunch of singing ass rappers on my personal playlist, you know? So it's like, I have to give credit where it's due. Nation saw the vision really early and he pushed me to to cover Drake he was absolutely right. So high even when I'm coming down Just met a girl say she front the age town I say my
0: name is Drizzy And ain't nobody realer Cup inside a cup Smoking ghost face killer Got these poppers going crazy You know what? For real? You know how Jay-Z said Myth League is in his will somewhere? If Nation is not in Drake's will somewhere There's a problem Because he went hard for Drake
3: Telling you a bonus
1: every artist remembers the moment they made it the first time their song got played on the radio the first time they properly rocked a crowd and to a certain generation the first time SK put on for them but for SK
2: himself i could tell you the moment when i felt like i had kind of arrived though it was when bun b mentioned me <laughs> where did he mention you it might have been on the double XL blogs or in a comment, but I know that me and Bun ended up jumping on the phone one day. Once I got posted on Nowray you couldn't tell me shit about Nowray, right? I wanted to be friends with SK, like I made a concerted effort to get to know him and to fuck with him. I- I don't even recall what the conversation was about, but I was like, yeah, is Bun B really calling my phone right now? This is crazy. I'd probably been blogging for two years, and now I'm on the phone with this legendary rapper. That's kind of when it hit me, like, oh, all right, there might be something here, you know?
1: Success could be found in different forms. Bun B calling your phone, Drake shouting you out in a video, or even seeing the number of visitors to your site reach levels you'd never imagined. But when money comes sniffing around, offering you a chance to change your life, well, that's a whole different kind of value. Veteran online editor and writer Andreas Hale was then working at the music super site HipHopDX. He watched Not Right From Afar and appreciated its mom-and-pop store appeal, where the buck stopped with the boss. One day, Andreas's boss, Tommy Cherian, asked him to join him in sitting down with SK at a New York City coffee shop.
4: At HipHopDX... We adopted a blog thing uh, where we wanted to get a bunch of people to start either posting music that they liked or saying their own thoughts. So we actually met with SK and tried to acquire Now
1: Right. For SK, someone who had taken on all this work by himself, who was juggling his full-time job and this side hustle since the beginning, and who had a family to feed, if he didn't consider it, he'd be a fool. Andreas,
2: though, felt the fool was his boss, Tommy. And I remember telling SK, like, don't take this fucking deal. Go. No. Just do your thing. You know, I do recall considering it quickly and in a pretty short period of time coming to the conclusion that I wasn't going to do it. At the time, it was important to me to remain a bit independent, and I didn't really know what an affiliation like that would bring. I didn't want to have to run anything by anybody or... You know, I didn't want there to have to be any consensus about what Nalright was going to be or what it was going to cover. I was probably making decent money from the site at the time and didn't really need to jump on an offer like that. It is what it is. I'm not a DX anymore. I knew a culture vulture when I saw one and I knew what Tommy was trying to do. And he was
4: trying to gobble up all the blogs, but it was, it was going to undercut their value.
5: SK would double down on himself. Getting up earlier, staying up later, opening up more emails, listening to more music. Sal Cicullo.
4: See, that's all he would talk about. He would consume himself with it. I don't know if he really understood how far it was going to go at that time. I 100% didn't think it would go that far and be that big. So, I mean, he had the vision. But I remember, sincerely, 10 clicks a month, 50 clicks a month, turned into... You know, 100,000 clips a month, a couple hundred thousand clips a month or whatever it was. But he just wanted to do something for him and his friends to, to go on there and, and chop it up and argue and stay current on on the hip-hop, whether it's the old stuff or the new stuff coming in, because he loves to, as we all did, try to find that next artist that we're like, oh, this guy's hot, this, you know, this, this person could spit.
5: And spit they did. Technology made it easier to record wherever and whenever. The internet allowed people to search out whatever instrumentals had leaked online. If an artist wanted to record their own take on the song of the moment, no DJ or label licensing team or anything would get in their way. Lil Wayne's A Millie had a million unofficial remixes. If Brooklyn rapper Joel Ortiz felt like cleverly flipping Beamer Benzer Bentley by Lloyd Banks into a grimier ode to getting busy on the street he knew that SK would post his song, Nissan Honda Chevy, within
4: minutes.
5: SK's co-sign didn't guarantee your career would take off, but if your art stood out, there was no better platform to appear on. Even after recognition in the Source magazine's unsigned hype column, And in All Hip Hop's Breeding Ground section, the word was that Joelle signed to Dr. Dre's Aftermath Records, home to Eminem and 50 Cent, thanks to SK posting him on NotRight.com. The record business could be fickle as fuck. Executives who'd jump in front of any camera lens to put their arm around you, who'd stop short of nothing to claim your success, would forget you ever existed the moment you're perceived to be cold. And the second you get hot, strangers act like they're your best friends. In the same way that the majors clung to iTunes, they now desperately fought for SK's approval. Over at Def Jam, L.A. Reid's assistant put in a call to Jamal
2: Jamo's desk. There was one artist who shall remain nameless. I was beckoned into L.A.'s office. L.A. and Steve were listening, and I go in, and they don't know me. There's so many people in my chain of command before i would ever get to a conversation with them and steve asked me outright he's like so you're gonna get this on not right for us and i'm just like uh okay equal parts floored that steve bartles would say anything about not right but also that it, like not right is being asked about in very much the way i expect someone in publicity to get asked about a vogue cover that was a watershed moment
5: Atlantic Records dipped their toes in as well, hoping to cooperate with SK in promoting their marquee artists, Lupe Fiasco and T.I. But after the music got the right amount of attention on Na Right, the legal department sent over cease and desist after cease and desist, pressuring SK to immediately remove their materials from his site. For both the promo department, who scored the placements, and the lawyers who got them taken down, these were seen as wins. For SK. Being singled out and threatened was a huge and repeated annoyance. SK wasn't interested in playing games, so every year or so, he called Atlantic out on theirs and publicly declared that he'd stop posting their artists. Atlantic would reliably come crawling back, claiming it was all misunderstanding. For his part, SK never switched up or bent. The power was always in his hands. Sycamore.
0: It seemed like... Nah, right was uncorruptible at a point. He really posted shit that he thought was fresh, especially when more and more people felt more and more corruptible. So I think that's what set him apart. It just seemed like, oh you made on Narright. You are dope. Like you your shit is hard. He represented like, the peak of the blogs, like the creme de la creme, more than anything else, the least political out of all of them.
5: SK could be stubborn, and thank God, with so many people in his ears, from the powerful to the not so. His website could have come out way different. Instead, SK blocked all that shit out and concentrated on his own agenda, coming back time and time again to what he liked, how he wanted to run things. They say it takes a village, but SK didn't want or need the help. In just two years, Not Right became both a movement and a monument. Ray
6: Rodriguez. At any point in time, you can upend the entire system, bend it towards what you're doing, and create something new and be able to repurpose it. Because before a blog like Nah Right came along, blog itself was a punchline, just like in 1997. Oh, check out my website. It's www. And it was flares because what's a website? Who has a computer? It wasn't as prevalent. And blogs were like that first. Check out my blog. It's all about my poetry about flowers. I think it helped shove um, hip-hop, further into the 21st century. New distribution, new ways to reach fans, and it also empowered a lot of artists as well. I think it empowered a lot of fans, and I think it provided a, a bridge from the old way of doing things where you had to sign a deal and you had to go through things this way to check out my SoundCloud page. And if you like that, you can go to my Bandcamp page. If you like that, you can get my merch from here, and I'm gonna do a pop-up show here. And it doesn't matter that I can't sell 10 million albums, I'm going to sell 3,500 albums every single time around, but you know, I'm getting all of that money, and my fans are supporting me. That bridges the blog era, and if you're talking about the blog era and you're not talking about Nright, nah you're just not talking about the blog era.
1: For all of Elliot Wilson's taunts from his perch up at XXL magazine, the blogs didn't stop. The internet was a competitor that even YN couldn't crush. But if XXL was going to play ball... Elliott figured they might as well become the Yankees. Elliot envisioned their own take on Not Right, mixing new music with original voices, and gave B-Fred the green light to hire the hip-hop internet's biggest names, Freshalina, Chris X, DJ Drama, Andrew Naznitsky, Sycamore, and yes, Byron Crawford. XXLMag.com quickly became a force separate and apart from the print division. After six months at the helm... Elliot promoted B-Fred to editor-in-chief at Scratch Magazine. Running both the website and the magazine, though, was, was not feasible. So when looking for a replacement to manage the internet's most notorious lineup, they shot for the moon. This is B-Fred.
9: Obviously, the person on the top of our list is the man himself, SK, who like, we were all inspired by and of, was largely, at that point, like a very mysterious figure that no one had ever met in person. We reached out to him to ask if he was interested, and, you know, I think at the time... S.K. was still working his day job. Incredibly, the publishing
1: company where S.K. worked had been located just a few blocks away from XXL's offices this entire
9: time. Me and Elliot took him out to lunch somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of both of our offices and and talked to him about the opportunity. It was great, man. Like, it was kind of an amazing moment for me.
2: There were levels to this rat media shit. And at the time, print was still on top. So... When Elliot and Brendan reached out, the last thing on my mind was them offering me a job, you know? I just didn't think that they felt that highly about me that they would actually bring me into to run a department.
1: But would SK have another hip-hop DX situation on his hands? Would all the energy and respect earned building the not-right name be lost to just another 9-to-5? Or would SK use his space online as negotiation? The
9: deal we made with him, obviously, was that, like, he could continue writing Not Right while coming to XL. You know, there was obviously some amount of conflict there about, like, who gets to post it first, you know what I mean? And I forget how we resolved that Again, that's another one of those things that we could have got hung up on that conflict, but we were just like, let's just do it. Let's just try it. It's going to be fine. He was just like one of the very few people that I could have imagined getting it right away of just like how to do this thing. It was inspired by the thing he was already doing. So very easy for him to pick it up. It was really kind
2: of incredible. I wasn't expecting it. They hit me with that offer. And I'll be honest, it was kind of a dream job to me, even though I knew print was on the decline. Working for an organization like Double XL was in the back of my head. It was kind of a, a lifelong dream to me. Yeah, I grew up a nerd, reading rap magazines, you know, pouring over rap magazines and looking at bylines and putting these certain writers on these pedestals. And to work at an establishment like that, it was just something I couldn't have fathomed. So yeah, it was a, it was a huge deal when they offered me that.
1: As he pulled his Honda Accord out of the parking garage on this hip-hop Monday to head home after giving his two weeks' notice at his IT job, SK had no idea how Rocky the Ride Ahead would become. The Blog Era is executive produced for Other Tone by Pharrell Williams, Moses Shoyola, and Scott Venner. Executive produced for It's The Real by Eric Rosenthal, Jeff Rosenthal, and Steve Carlos. Produced by Greg Mayo and Osmi Rollins Written, researched, and hosted by Eric Rosenthal and Jeff Rosenthal Original score by Greg Mayo Edited by Greg Mayo Story edited by Timhotep Aku Fact checked by Brandon Callender This is The Blog Era